This podcast has been underwritten by Cape Cod Healthcare because investing in the arts creates a healthier community. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast, a series of elevated conversations with Cape Cod creatives. This project is a collaboration between the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod and Provincetown Community Television, recorded at the Night Owl Recording Studio at the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. It is an ode to the artistic process and its unique manifestation here on Cape Cod, seeking to reveal the successes, challenges, and experiences of local artists. Above all, it is a reminder that arts matter in our community. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. We're continuing our exploration of the process. On this episode, we're talking to writer Susan Blood about the process of getting your creative work done. Susan is currently working on a novel and has written for the Christian Science Monitor, the Provincetown Banner, the Barnstable Patriot, the Magazine of Yoga, Mama Pop, Bach Track, and of course Trout Towers, her website and blog. Her collection of essays, How Not to Do Things, came out in 2017 from Surface Popper Publications. Susan has written for several local businesses and organizations, including the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater, Left Bank Gallery, the Wellfleet Beachcomber, Cape Cod Symphony, and Cape Cod Technology Council. Opera Betty, her opera show for people who hate opera, airs on WOMR, The second Sunday of each month, Susan received the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod 2018 Writing Fellowship and was granted a week at the Seascape Dune Shack, an experience we look forward to hearing more about today. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Now, Julie, what would you like to learn today? (laughs) I'm so excited to have Susan. I've known Susan for a long time, and um, I have um, really enjoyed her storytelling and her humor Uh, for years. And what has come up uh, recently is her being awarded the fellowship at the Arts Foundation and her learning about her process of preparing um, to be creative for a week alone. Like, how do you do that? Like, I I can't even spend a a Sunday afternoon by myself and be productive (laughs) creatively. I can clean and stuff, but like, how do you stay focused and what did she have to do to prepare? How did she know how to prepare for that week? And we started talking about this watching Susan's slideshow about her time at the Dune Shack. And um, so the slideshow sort of outlines your process there. And I'd like to know, in addition to how did you go about finding your process, how did you then take it home and put it into practice in your everyday life when you, on a Sunday, end up cleaning instead Mm of writing. (laughs) Right. And I want to make sure that um, we will have that slideshow that we're talking about Mm -hmm. associated within the bio of the podcast posting. So So people will get a chance to see what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's very visual, beautiful. Great. Well, it's beautiful out there. So it's really hard to put together a slideshow that isn't stunning Mm. because a week in the dunes is like like nothing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And that was made possible by the compact in Provincetown. Um, Jay Critchley 
uh, and I worked together on uh, getting a donor to donate that and support an artist for the week. And so that was a big, um, great opportunity for someone local to do, to take advantage of, huh? It's it's an amazing opportunity. Mm. I've It's been kind of on and off of a bucket list because like you said like I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be out there for a week by myself Mm -hmm. but it's something I was always really curious about not curious enough to get on any of the lists I mean no I was but Mm -hmm. it's like oh god what if I get it you know and so um it was just to be awarded that and to have that time to really explore it was just unbelievable Mm. and so how did you start how did you you had to pack right so how did you get your mind around what you needed to bring to kind of survive I mean I'm I've never been camping so to me it's like spending you know Mm -hmm. weeks in the wild so I'm gonna make it sound (laughs) much more dramatic than I think it is but um you know so you have to pack for your needs but then how do you like pack your brain with what you need for your tools to to have a productive experience yeah so I actually started preparing for it um pretty much when when I heard about it uh, that I had been awarded the um, residency. And I did that because I was working on a story that my character goes into kind of a hermitage for a good bit of the book. And so I really wanted to explore what that felt like, what it was like, what her process would be out there. So months before I went, I was um, trying to write as much as possible to get that the bulk of the story in so that then the first thing that I packed was a printout of the novel to date and so I printed it out hole punched it put in it put it in a binder with a bunch of blank pages and then added more blank pages and then I um I am not outdoorsy I am not a camper I am not this is not me. And so I asked around to like, how do you survive out there for a week? And people had really good, um, good information. Like you do, you take your own drinking water. And then people, it, it, yeah, some we, people, we didn't tell you any of that. Didn't yeah, we? No, like, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Susan Lyons, Lyons Susan. Um, here's your den. And there's no electricity. There's, there's no, no running electricity. Water. There is, don't tell anybody, but there's like great connection for your phone. So mm. um, I know, which was sort of like, oh, did I want this or did I not? But mm-hmm. so you have to self regulate. Um, and I would, I took pictures on my phone. I took my phone with me so that I could take pictures, but I didn't connect. Although there were a couple of nights that I'd get a call from my family and we would chit chat in the dark Mm -hmm. because there's no electricity. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's no electricity. There's no running water. There's a hand pump that um, pumps water that is the color of strong tea. And you use that, you use that to wash your dishes and, you know, wash your hands and kind of clean up if you're somebody that's not me I would do like a pre-wash with it and then use left what seemed like it was going to be leftover drinking water because I am as I said not outdoorsy um and one thing that 
I was okay with was I kept hearing about mice, that there were likely mice, and I'm fine with mice. It's like the one thing I can handle. So that was not a problem. Did um, you see any mice? I didn't. I heard oh, them, okay. but I didn't see them. I did have a moment one night. I was sitting on the couch in the living room, and and I will say there's no electricity, but they have these amazing solar lanterns mm. and hooks all over the shack. So you, I ended up making myself a little chandelier in the living room so I could <laughs> work in the evening. Um, and I'm... I'm sitting there on the couch and um, working, writing, and something catches my eye, and I look over, and there's a spider on the couch a little ways away from me, and it's like, you know, maybe the size of a nickel. And I think, okay, in the dunes, the spider lives here, it's all good. And then, and then I look, and then it starts, like, running towards me and I turn and scream and it turns and screams and we're both like <laughs> running away from each other as fast as possible but that's really my only encounter with wildlife <laughs> that's one you can handle that's one I could yeah. handle yeah although you do you walk out of the shack in the morning and there are all these like I wanted it to be one of those zen gardens where I'd sweep everything so that I could see which tracks were new in the morning but I'm not I couldn't find a broom <laughs> um but it is amazing you're out there and it's animals and yeah wind and sun and yeah I'm curious about the sound because um, you know, you think about your daily life, there's so much sound that you don't realize is there. So like, there's no humming refrigerator, there's no music in the mm. background, there's no car going by. What was that like to be isolated and kind of have space in your brain? Crushing. Um, it was when I first got out there. Uh, um, it was... So, like, to have all of that time and that space and the quiet and then the ocean. And you're like, oh, I can hear the ocean. Oh, I can't turn it off. Like, there's Because <laughs> it gets loud. It's just, like, constant. Mm. But then after, after a bit, then you settle into it and then you're just kind of the spider on the couch mm -hmm. when everything's normal. But it does take a little bit to get get your brain tuned into dune time. Mm -hmm. And so was it seven days? It was seven days. Seven days. So, you know, the first day you have your meeting with the spider. Oh, that was deep in. That was deep yeah, in? that was deep in. <laughs> so you were yeah. super hyper aware of movement by then. Oh, yeah. So when did you finally, because you're, okay, so you're there for two hours, right? After about two hours, it would start to wear off a little bit. Like, oh, this is so exciting. Um, anyone out there? Uh, when did the creative process start to kick in for you? So I kind of forced myself. Well, because my character spends this time, I thought, okay, I can at least sit down and describe things. What it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, what am I going through right now? Mm. Um that kind of thing. I was really lucky because the refrigerator was on the fridge while, while I was there. They have a propane-fueled 
fridge that you can use, but it was not working. So I had an icebox, which was even better. Um, so there was really no humming. No, there was nothing. Um, so I figured out how stuff worked. Like, this is an old-fashioned icebox. Never encountered one before. And the stove, and there's a, there's a wood stove in there, and... Um, just all of the details. So I started just getting the details down. Mm. And um, and then at night, and this was in the end of September, early October that I was there. It gets So it gets dark kind of early. And um, that was when I started writing. Just like, I can't waste this day. I needed to start writing. And, and then once you start working, then it gets easy. It's just that getting going that's hard and that was the very first day you that was the very first day you were productive well so as you mentioned in my bio thank you for that I work at the fine arts work center and so in the back of my head I had the fellowship and they have they grant um fellowships for seven months so these writers and artists come to Provincetown and they spend seven months and my I always wondered like what how do you manage your time? What happens mm. if you get to the end of the fellowship and you haven't produced anything? What, wh- how would I manage in that situation? And so I thought about, okay, today is October. And so I had to get October done before November woke me up the next day. So mm. it really kind of kept me on track as far as getting things done. Mm. And so I think sometimes um, people think, you know, the muse hits you in the head and then you write or you paint or you write music. So how do you organize yourself to be disciplined enough to say, I need to do this now? Was it the prep work? Was that really what got you Are you born with it? Oh, God. <laughs> um, the, the prep work. So I did have these gaps that I wanted to address. There were things that I wanted to hit the ground running on, and I just couldn't connect to them that first day. It just didn't make sense. The story wasn't there. It was gone. It was. Mm. I didn't know what to do. Um, but it, it started coming back, and then um, – but I would take breaks. You're in this amazing place. So I would go and sit on the porch and just look at the sky. And um, and then I'd have an idea and I'd come in and I'd write for a while. And I, I really did always think that I would, given the opportunity, I would just sit down and write, write, write. You know, if, mm-hmm. if I had the time, I would write a novel. It's not the way it works for me, apparently, um, that I need those breaks. And so... I would do something and something would pop into my head and then I would go back to work. Mm-hmm. So the muse, it's there, but sometimes it needs a little nap. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, through that process, did it change the story? Were there things that happened that were unexpected that shifted that character that you mentioned? There have been. I look back at um, when I when I applied for the Arts Foundation Fellowship, I had the structure of the story, the bones. I had a really good outline of, mm-hmm. and it has changed so much since then. Um, the characters have developed; they've all become their own people, mm. and things really, yeah, it did, it did change while I was out there, and subsequently, 
there have been some changes. And I, I kept a journal. I kept a um, something I called my hermit journal. Journal when I first had the idea of writing this book, and I didn't know what kind of shape it was going to take. And so I just, and literally my first journal entry is, I have no idea why I'm doing this, but here's, this is control day one, and here's where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have, I can go back through those and see where things changed and how things evolved. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of it got whipped into shape. I wrote such a huge chunk of the first draft in the dunes that it can't help but have been formed by that. Wow. So the process of of the journaling, I'm always interested in hearing how different people approach that, especially a writer. And I love that you just said, um, I wrote down, I don't know why I'm doing this. (laughs) And I think that sometimes that's just giving yourself permission to... Just write anything. So has that been your kind of lesson in this or process in this? Um, I'm not a hard and fast journaler really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep it as sort of like a bulletin board of thoughts that I want to come back to or things that I just need to dump somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't write in a journal every morning or I, that's not at all part of my process. It really works for a lot of people. But um, I don't have a, oh, I have to go write my, you know, morning words or whatever. (laughs) Your Um, gratitude statement. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So do you have a system? I mean, we're talking about journaling. Some people do, you know, 50 push-ups or, you know, have their coffee Christine Walker, when we interviewed her, she turns a fire on. She makes a fire every morning. Can you imagine? Isn't that nice? Um, so civilized. I know. She's, I don't doubt I, that for a second. I know. She's so lovely. She is lovely. Um, so do you have like a routine or do you have not a routine around your work, but like a routine to keep yourself sane around? I mean, you're a very creative person and you have lots of big ideas. So how do you, and you, you have a family, you have a job, and then you have this creative outlet that you need to express. So what do you do to keep yourself healthy and productive, like, like a journaling or eating candy? <laughs> I could not have fed you a better question because I actually have an answer for that <gasps> for the first time in my life. So my husband, <laughs> my husband tells this story about um, a college campus where they didn't put any sidewalks or paths in. They just planted grass everywhere. And then where the people walked and wore in paths, that's where they put the, the sidewalks in, and you know, actual legitimate paths. Smart, right? So um, that's what I've done. And it is finding a ritual in the place of least resistance, finding your practice where it already is and connecting to it, which is like you talk to 10 different people about their process and their, you know, their rituals and the things that they do and you get 10 different answers. And so when you try to like, oh, I'll write every night before bed, I can't do that because I'm asleep. I can't do it in the morning because I'm getting people and myself out the door. I can't do the other nine people's process. Um, But I do spend a lot of time waiting for people. 
And I spend a lot of time, (laughs) I I spend a lot of time with my day broken up into pieces. And there is so much space in those in-between times that you don't realize you have until you find them. And so I got myself a little laptop that is just pretty much all writing and it lives in my bag and I take it everywhere. And so I am literally writing in parking lots for 20 minutes at a time. That's amazing. Yeah, that's brilliant. Instead, having, you're not that having that fight of like I am supposed to taken away must really free up your creativity. And instead of I'm supposed to, it's like <gasps> I get to. <gasps> and I only yeah. have 20 minutes to do it, so get to it. And so you really I end up staying m- way more focused. Because that time, it's like the sort of the balsamic reduction of writing time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The other thing that I do is um, I drive my daughter to school most mornings and the library doesn't open until 10. So I drive to a parking lot and I get whatever work writing that I don't really want to do but have to done so that by the time the library opens, I can just write. So I only have one all day for me writing day a week where I can, and it's not even all day, it's until two, but that's all day. Right. Um, so I really take full advantage of it. And you like to go to the library. I love the library. Why? Why do you love the library? I don't love every library. I love libraries. <laughs> I love the... I love the idea of libraries. Mm-hmm. I love that they exist. I love librarians and what they do for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um libraries figure into this novel in sort of maybe an unhealthy huge way like I might need to I don't know I might have library separation anxiety or something but um the East Ham library oh my god is just like stunning amazing it is amazing it's it's like a mid-century modern just magical land of books and quietness and and beauty (laughs) it really is giant windows pond trees quiet fireplace Mm, i feel like i'm christine oh i'll never forget going there for the first time a friend of mine brought me there and i kind of couldn't believe it they were like you're not gonna it was wendy o'keefe and uh she said you're not gonna believe what you're gonna say and we walked in and i said i can't believe this exists it's amazing it's really a call to the um modern movement that we've had that we had on Cape Cod with the Mm -hmm. brewer time here and and um, somebody brought it back and it's really smart but anyway enough about the library (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you about the library (laughs) I like working in libraries too though because for me it's enough you can be kind of pushed in a corner by yourself but there's always something happening around you so it's kind of the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. You're not engaged till you're not at home and dealing with, you know, the pets or some people have children. Um, <laughs> and so it's like stuff happening, but I can shut myself off from that. I, I like that aspect yeah, of working and there's, in the library. And there's kind of a boundary, right? So you're at the library. People are less likely to come up and be like, hey, Susan, what are you working on? Mm. Than if you were at Starbucks, Yeah, you know, like you never get anything done there. You go there to not be productive. Can I just tell you something? Yes. So I was just, I was just at Panera between you know this morning and now, and um, I had to put my earbuds in and put on my coffee shop app. 
Because the conversations around me were so much I couldn't, because I was sitting there writing, and yeah. I was getting drawn into these dramas. <laughs> I was like, I can only write one book at a time, ladies. That is so funny that you had to shut it down. So tell me a little bit, Are you? would you consider yourself um, an extrovert or an introvert? I know it's kind of a corny question, but like, I don't know. I feel like I would guess that you were an extrovert, but... I, I would second that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry that you're both wrong. Um, <laughs> really, no, I really like people, but I, I, mm, yeah. You like to, you, you're good I alone. could really super just spend my time at home. I think that knowing that she spent seven days in a dune, I, I, w- I, I am so extroverted that I don't think oh, I could last yeah. even a half a day the thought of even applying for that would have given me, I think the idea of it, I'm, I get excited about, like, oh, my God, seven days by myself. But the reality is different, even yeah. when you do fuel yourself with yeah. time away. Um, speaking of fueling, what did you do? Like, what did you eat? And, like, tell us about that, because I think that's part of the creative process. Yeah, so... Oh, uh, in the Dune Shack? Yeah, in the Dune um, Shack. Or this morning. <laughs> um, Both. <laughs> well, they brought around samples, so I was like, oh my gosh, not only do I have a writing practice, but it is catered. <laughs> but the, the Dune Shack, um, I did, I probably put more planning into what I was going to eat while I was there than I did in anything else. Um, and I had food left over when I came home because I have had the experience I've discovered about me that I just need to have like little snacks or something or I can't stop thinking about it I um you didn't eat everything that same day the first day no and I didn't because I didn't have to it was just that that it was there but I I um I I (laughs) did you prepare food did you bring prepared Julie would eat instead of talk to people. I had a, <laughs> yeah, I I had the experience um, a few years ago where I was holed up in a Airbnb writing about opera for a few days, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have no, <laughs> I have no, no snacks." And so I would go into town and get just a little something, and then and then I could f- settle down and write. So I didn't want that to happen. So I took like a suitcase full of food and I prepared things in advance. And I also brought like cans of turkey chili from Trader Joe's. But I brought um, like quart containers of soup that I had made in advance and frozen. And I made myself a casserole that nobody in my family likes. And I froze that and took it out. And (laughs) so it's just I just planned in advance and all things that would keep reasonably well plus some you know shelf goods and then when you get there um there are people that also packed a little on the heavy side so there's desperation food if you run out oh Oh, people leave little and then there's like pans and frying pans and like all manner it's a propane cooktop you don't have an oh, oven. Nice. It looks like you have an oven when you see it, but it's just the cooktop that works. So you can really do a lot. You can saute up a you storm. You can saute up a storm. I didn't take, and it looks like people like take their groceries and make dinners, which I didn't really feel like doing while I was out there. So, um, but then also, 
there were a couple of times that friends made the hike and came to visit. You had visitors. I had two visitors. I don't know if I'm allowed to have Of course you are. I know, right? But one was an artist <laughs> who paints the dunes. So I was like, if you want to come out and use it as home base for an afternoon and go Were you like, pictures. please don't go? Please don't go. You know, I think it was. <laughs> you know, well, she brought leftover croissants. So oh, wow. okay. that was, yeah, I didn't suffer. I did not suffer out there one bit. And then my friend Audrey came out for a morning, and she brought me this insane piece of chocolate cake from PB Boulangerie. <laughs> so you weren't again, suffering. I did not suffer, and it is kind of crazy to sit on the porch of a dune shack with no electricity or running water and eat this super decadent thing. Did the food ever overlap into the story? Was there anything that during that week that you were like, I'm going to, the spider made the story or the food, the process of the, you know, preparing the food or things like that, that might have informed something that was kind of unexpected? The water pump informed it. Although my character's water pump has actual water that she can use. Um, (laughs) There was, there's a lot. There's a lot of those, a lot of those notes came in. And I will say also, all of this was handwritten, obviously, because, or not obviously, if you're not really, like, Mm -hmm. I did not take my laptop out there because. No electricity. What are you going to do? So I had pages and pages Mm. and pages of handwritten, and I had to write carefully so that I could read it when I got home. And I found that words came faster than I could write most of the time. And that was fascinating to me. It was all like this big social experiment, really. Um, So transcribing that when I got home, you had asked about what happened after the Mm. residency, the time in the dune shack, and that happened. Transcribing it took a very long time. And then it took time because I was fitting it into a story and also adding to it, kind of working it in with more description. And so what I brought home led to more, and it just, by that time, it had a robust life on its own. Something you were talking about, um, kind of having time to think, and I have finally let go and let myself have time to think during my work day and during times that I want to be creative. And it makes such a difference. I don't know why I always resisted sitting still. And so do you, have you brought that back a little bit? I mean, it sounds like you're, you're very busy if you're writing in parking lots. But it, do, you, <laughs> do you give yourself the luxury of being able to kind of just sit and think for a while? I used to think I was zoning out. But I think I've been thinking all along and I just was like putting pressure on myself not to, not to waste time. I think because I am writing in parking lots, um, I do have bigger stretches of downtime. And we do live in a time of the cult of busy. So we're not really allowed to just sit and be. Um, But I have a couple of two or three times a week, I've got a pretty long commute. So I've got that time in my car. And I really do just try to I don't listen to the news. I don't I don't turn on the radio. I just try to be quiet and and another thing is that of course that's when the really great ideas come barging in and so I have a, um, a voice recorder app on my phone 
And so I make little notes, like little dialogue notes or little whatevers, and then I work that in when I'm not driving. Mm. I love that because, I mean, you made such a good point, Amy, about um, we don't give ourselves enough time to, to sit still. I always fear that if I sit still, I'm going to fall asleep, mm. yeah. <laughs> which happens quite which a bit. Which is fine. Which is probably what I need, right? Mm-hmm. Um just to get back to something you said a few minutes ago about um, you had to handwrite everything. And I'm always fascinated by handwriting versus typing and the kind of the, um, the dilemma between the two. I often find with my own work that if I need to do something creative, I have to use the pen or a pencil. But if I'm transcribing it, like if I if I'm going after like if it's a more of a business type of thing and less creative, I can sit right at the typewriter or my computer. <laughs> the typewriter. You're such a hipster. <laughs> is it vinyl? I love the clicking. <laughs> I mean my laptop. Um, I'm so old. Um, so I and I've had conversations with other people about this about like kind of the process of. Um, getting the idea out because I feel like I can't get, I can't type fast enough to get what I Mm. need to process. And I also can look, we were looking at our notebooks today, Amy and I were, and Emma were um, laughing at like, like it looks like five different people took my notebook. (laughs) (laughs) And if you did a handwriting analysis, you'd be like, okay. And I can look back and say, I was in a really good place when I wrote that. Oh, interesting. Mm. Or I'm out of control right now. (laughs) (laughs) We're all potential criminals looking at our our notebooks. These people are not together. But to be forced to not use my laptop, I would love that. I would actually, that would be a good practice for me. But was that hard because you were so, you had retrained yourself? Because we're not from the generation of growing up with a laptop. By any means, not no. to expose your age no. or anything. Oh, but. Dang it, I was trying to sound so young. Um, <laughs> I have embraced the laptop, and I type pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and I find it the other way because I can't write something down and then move it all over the place. When I write, a lot of times I'm just throwing thoughts in there and then organizing them and with the laptop I can really just cut and paste and I, I was mm-hmm. thinking it sometime and I when I do newspaper articles especially like to do a screenshot video of like the writing the deleting the moving the because mm. there is so much moving and you know, write 400 words, delete 300, you know, (laughs) that, that part. So I did when I was out there, I, now that you mention it, I remember thinking I would so rock this if I had my laptop. (laughs) Interesting. But it was what it was. And it really actually worked out because I did have those seeds planted. And so I actually got what I wrote plus the momentum to how it got into my laptop when I got home. I love that. Um, and Amy mentioned this at the beginning. Um, 
is that like how is it changed like how have you developed these new habits you know as a result of the time um anything you know changed well i think so again i i am sort of making myself into this little social experiment this year starting with that control day one um and i've been trying different things and you know where are those paths for me and one of the things was i sat down and wrote for an hour and documented the, my word count just to see what i would what i did produce in an hour and um and then i tried for a week writing for 15 minutes every day, like at least 15 minutes every day and what I got at the end of that week and like just trying different things. Just I think it's sort of piqued my curiosity as to how, well, if I don't sit down and write for eight hours when I have eight hours to do, then what do I do? Where is my best um, work happening? And um, so I would say that it's it's changed it in that way that okay so I don't I don't actually want what I thought I always needed in order to write a novel um so what is it that I need and I'm finding those those things and ma- and I've made a practice of it I'd also say and I found this out since then and it runs counter to the dune shack time but accountability it has been so important to me, especially now that I have something to be accountable about. I think for me, I I'm very I play things very close when I'm working on something and it's a little amorphous. But as soon as it has some solidity, then I can start sharing with people and to bring people in um, and be accountable is very helpful. Mm. Wow. So I'm going to ask an unanswerable question, I think, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is, and I'm, you have to keep in mind, I am not a writer, but how do you take the idea, the original idea, and say, I'm going to write a novel? And then how do you populate your world with these people? I have such an answer for your unanswerable question. Well, right. So when I first started that hermit journal, it was because I had this idea of of being a hermit in place, of like going on a retreat but not going anywhere. So so being like that mountaintop sage right here, going to work, doing my stuff, but living that life like you were on a retreat. And I thought, how – like. I want to try to do this and document it as I go. And then I was um, having a little downtime on my couch, surfing the <laughs> internet, and I read this article on 18th century garden hermits, as one reads on the internet. And <laughs> wow. And so and it's so it was a thing that these people with these vast estates had a garden hermit and an actual hermit person living in a hermitage on their estate and um the article and this is where it really got me was that they say that that's where garden gnomes came from i was gonna ask you that actually i was like you get a living garden gnome yeah so and that was it like when you have everything what you don't have is somebody who's a little sage and like a this sense of you know something that you can't 
I don't know. You can't get otherwise. And then when people didn't have the actual people, then they would build the hermitage and pretend that there was a, you know, and then the garden gnomes. So I was like, okay, so if I was doing this project that I am doing, I would want to be an 18th century garden gnome. This has to be fiction because she has to do that. So I became Holly and Holly became my person. And so I... So that's that's how you end up writing a novel is the novel. It it gets to a point where you're like, this is a novel. I I mean, I've never written a novel before. So this is how how it worked for me. I thought it was going to maybe be another collection of essays or, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows. But at that point, it became a novel because how fun is that? And um, and then the people, they started... They started out as one thing. Like one of the things that you're told to do is really r- write write down the characteristics of your characters. Write you know what motivates them, who they are, what are they like. You write this whole backstory for them so that you understand them better. They've all left that in the dust. Like none of them look like my backstory anymore. Um, and it's because is that they, okay? I think. It, yeah. I think it's a sign of a psychosis, but <laughs> they become their own people. And then yeah. they start, they have their own voices. They have their, I don't, I'm not hearing voices, but like <laughs> they do have their own ways of communicating. They do different things. They become like, it. it's pull over on the side of the road. One of my characters just said something kind of wow. thing. Um, and it's fun. Like, it's That's a little amazing. weird. My poor family. Think of my poor family. They're like, no, did that really happen or is that your book you're talking about right now? Sorry. <laughs> Do you say to them like that you're being such a holly right now? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you must draw from people around you a little bit. So, um, well, so the when so this one time at the Dune Shack. <laughs> um so you go to, I think that's Race Point Beach, and you meet your driver, and he takes you out there and gives you, like, tells you how to work everything and then leaves you. But I had the ice box, and so he'd come out every couple of days and bring another chunk of ice. So he was in and out. And I have a groundskeeper in my book, and John, the real-life human being who exists in normal, actual life, became Pete to me. And so it was this, like, one became the other. Like, I felt towards John the way I had come to feel about my character, like this great person who just takes care of things. and, And then getting home, then John kind of worked his way into Pete, and there we are. Wow. So it's really that... Being aware, right, and recognizing, wow, this is an interesting interaction with this person, and I'm going to, that's yeah. my character. I am super he just, using this. He <laughs> just walked into my life, and yeah. now he's going to walk onto these pages. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty amazing. It's So it's that being aware, right, of these opportunities that, like, drop in front of you, you know? I'm wondering where the spider's going to return, because that's pretty funny. <laughs> So, Susan, what are you working on right now? Are you done with that and 
Oh, no, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, so right now, there's... It's now I'm going through fine-tuning. There's still some storylines that need to go in. Um, and right now I have a I have somebody that I'm working with who's also writing a novel, and so we're trading chapters and meeting once a week, which is brutal and fabulous because talk about accountability. Um, what? Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so her name is Indira Ganesan, and she's a novelist. She's... She has published novels, and so I'm a little behind on that one. But <laughs> she's writing – she's actually writing the pages and sending them to me, and I'm fine-tuning mine and sending them to her. So. And so you use each other as um, like a sounding board? We do. We do. Nice. So we email each other our chapters, and then a few, couple of days later we meet. And um, How did you develop that relationship? It it's was amazing. It was completely just fortuitous. You never know when the dots are going to connect. Yeah. Um, we both uh, have shows on WOMR. Um, so we kind of know each other from that. And then we ran into each other in the summer. And then we have run into each other a couple of times. And I, the introvert, said, hey, we should have lunch sometime. And then you know, it's out of my mouth. And I was like, who even are you, Susan? Where did that come from? And so then we had lunch and then it just happened. It was this, you know, are you in a writing group? And no, but would you like to be, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it just happened and it was, it was exactly what I needed. Mm. And what about, um, like, that? I think that's like a, a pretty key um kind of advice to people who are thinking about writing and I mean I I can't imagine jumping in and being like I'm going to write a novel for my first you know project but um what are things that you have learned now as a writer and novelist um that you would share you know teaming up with someone like that that's amazing but that's way into the process but what about the beginning are there writing groups are there like what do writers do there are writing groups, especially in the Cape Cod, on Cape Cod. We're so lucky. There's there are things happening all over the place. Um, there there are writing groups available. There are workshops available. Um, the Fine Arts Work Center has week long workshops all summer that are amazing. Um, there's also I did I took a um, I went to Boston and took a workshop a day workshop at Grub Street. Um, so workshops. Going to readings, reading, mm. but a lot of the I don't have my MFA where I think that I probably would have learned a lot of the technical aspects of it. But just spending time with with writers who are in a different place in the process is very helpful. Mm. Um, I learned from the workshop that I took that that you don't look for agents until your book is complete and polished. And that was so – it was such a relief that really my job right now is to write the book and get it in ship shape mm. and then take the next step. But to not that, – that that step is not appropriate or, you know, needed right now. Mm-hmm. And what advice would you have for people that – are thinking, well, I'd love to join a writer's group, but I'm not ready, or I want to take a workshop, but it's intimidating. So what what would you say to people who want to make that leap? 
there, there, well, when the description of a workshop says all levels, they mean it. Because there are there are workshops that are for advanced and for, you know, you're at this place and you're trying to fine tune that. But really, and also, wherever you are, you still bring something to the table. You have a different experience. You have different ways of seeing things. And so to not discount that and to just do it. I love it. Great mm. advice. Thank you for sharing your week and your art with us. And thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so lucky. Well, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to today's guest, writer Susan Blood. For this episode of the Creative Exchange Podcast, I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. Until next time, arts matter. Support for the Creative Exchange podcast is made possible by Delbrook JKS. The Creative Exchange podcast is all about celebrating the artistic process on Cape Cod and connecting creatives. That's right, Julie. And as part of that, we'd like to invite you to a Creative Exchange live event here at the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. On May 30th, 2019 at 5.30, Amy and I are bringing back some of this season's guests for a live panel discussion. Come connect with other listeners, meet podcast guests, and celebrate the arts community. Mark your calendars and visit artsfoundation.org slash creative exchange for details and updates. See you there. See you there. Music for the Creative Exchange podcast is the work of Jordan Renzi. Produced in association with Billingsgate Records by Jordan Renzi and Andrew Staker at Big Red Studios in Wellfleet. The Creative Exchange Podcast is brought to you by the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod, Provincetown Community Television, and the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. In the desert, to the oasis, this time.